church? Uh, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together again to come and worship you as a church. Lord, we ask you that as we go into your word, that you fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and depth of insights. We pray that you challenge us with your word. We pray that you comfort us. I will pray that you transform us. I will pray that you give us a heart that is willing to do your will. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So are we we'll be looking at a topic today. Who do you say that I am? From Matthew chapter 16, from 13 to 17, it's a question that Jesus asked his disciples while he was with them. Because it's important for us to know who we actually serve, who we worship. We need to know the nature of Jesus Christ. We need to know who he really is. You know, many people have their own imagination of Jesus. Many religions have their own definition of Jesus. And um, even in a society, during Christmas, you ask people about Jesus. They will tell you different versions of Jesus. But most of the time, that's not the version presented to us in the scriptures. So in the Gospel of um, Matthew, in chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, Jesus asked the disciples about what, what is people, what's the opinion of people about him? What are people saying out there about him? Matthew 16, 13 to 14. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And see others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So people have different opinions about Jesus. But one thing they agreed on was that he was not an ordinary man. And they even came with some weird... Uh, opinion that was a reincarnation of, uh, of Elijah, of Jeremiah. And some also believe that just a prophet, like any other prophet, like what people say today, that he was a good teacher, he was a prophet. But just went further to ask disciples, okay, that's what people have been saying about me, but what of you? What's your own understanding of me? So in verse 15, he said, but what about you, he asked. What do you say? Who do you say I am? And every step of Jesus must be able to answer these questions for themselves. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? What do you understand about Jesus, about the nature of Jesus? Because we cannot truly follow him and worship him, if we don't know who he is, like Jesus told the woman by that well, 
the Samaritan woman that you Samaritans will worship what you don't know, but we worship who we know. The same way, if we say we worship Jesus, we need to have a clear understanding of Jesus Christ. And Peter gave a very unique answer that day, which Jesus commended. And that answer that Jesus gave has become like a creed for the church, what the church has come to believe about Jesus. So verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if you read further, you scroll that up. In the scriptures, that statement that Peter said, we kept seeing it throughout the scriptures. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The word Messiah is the same word Christ. So it's Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek. And even when John was writing his gospel and wanted to give us the reason why he was writing his gospel to the church, he said it was to confirm and affirm what Peter have said over here. John 20, 31, from the NLT translation. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And the Lord's response to Peter in verse 17 was that Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. That means what came out of the mouth of Peter that day was the revelation of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Because it takes the work of the Spirit of God to affirm Jesus as the Lord, as Christ. Like 1 Corinthians 12.3 also say, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus will cost. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of man for him to truly say that Jesus is Lord and come under his Lordship. So we want to look at... Um, Three, I will use the word title or designation used for Jesus in this passage. You look at the Son of Man, the Son of God, and the Messiah, which means Christ. You know, Jesus said, who do you say Son of Man is? And um, Peter said, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So let's look at it meaning of these three words and we look at three points under each and look at the implication for us as disciples and what should be our response to them. So let's start with the Son of Man. When we see the word Son of Man in the scripture, what does it mean? In the scriptures, this word or this title is used for two people in the Old Testament used for Ezekiel when the angel several times talking to Ezekiel 
use the word son of man, which was just to differentiate the angel from Ezekiel's human being and an angel. But the second person that this title is used for in the scriptures was a divine figure in Daniel chapter 7. And Jesus always used this to point himself, to link himself to that divine figure. Not only his humanity, but also to show his divinity. The divine figure that uh, the whole world will come and bow their kneel before to worship. So Daniel 7, 13 to 14, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, come with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led to his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this is the second person that the word the Son of Man was used for. An heavenly figure that will come with the cloud of glory, that will have a kingdom, that will be forever and ever, and everybody will worship him. And Jesus specifically said that person was him. He made that link to his trial before the high priest of Israel. In Matthew 26, 63 to 64, but Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You see these three titles also coming in again, the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus himself spoke to all Israel that that person you saw in Daniel 7 was referring to me. And of course, they saw that as blasphemy. The high priest tore his clothes and um, Jesus was charged for blasphemy. So if you look at, if you look at even the statement of Jesus going further, you see three things that Jesus said about the Son of Man that can only point to a divine person. So we look at those three points. One of them is the Son of Man that came from heaven and we are sent to heaven where he was before. So you look at um, John 3.13, Jesus said, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. John 6.62, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Nobody ever existed before coming into this world. The life of every human being starts from the womb. But for Jesus, he existed before he came into this world. That makes him unique. And that makes him divine. Second point, the Son of Man 
which is at the right hand of God, and coming with the cloud of glory. Mark 14.62 I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the third one is the Son of Man that has authority on earth to forgive sins. We only know that it's only God that can forgive sins. But this Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Matthew 9.6 But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on heart to forgive sins. So those are the attributes of the Son of Man that we see in the Scriptures. We make Jesus not just human, but also divine. Then what about the Son of God? If you look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures use the Son of God in three different categories. In the Old Testament, the word the Son of God kept coming, but majorly in plural form, the sons of God. Because it referred to anyone created without any human origin, like angels. Because the Bible is the paternity or to, or in the genealogy when describing a man, the son of this, the son of this, and if there's no father to link the person to, and the person was created, they called the person sons of God. Like angels in Job 1, 6, Daniel 3, 25 to 28. And even Adam was called son of God because he was created by God. He was not given birth. There was no father to link him with. So look at Luke 3, 38, when the genealogy of Christ was being read, when he came to Adam, said, and Adam, the son of God. That just means created by God. And of course, believers in Christ Jesus were called sons of God. Because we have been regenerated and have been adopted into sonship. And we see that in um, Romans 8, 15, Galatians 4, 4 to 6. But when it comes to Jesus, he's the only unique and begotten son of God. Eternal son of God. Begotten, not created. He bears the full nature of God, his father. And the Greek word monogenes, if I get this pronunciation well, is monogenes, whatever, <laughs> which is an adjective used in the scripture to qualify the sonship of Jesus Christ. The translation to English means the only begotten, single of his kind, only soul, and that's what is used to describe the sonship of Jesus. And what are the, let's just look at just three attributes of the sonship of Jesus presented throughout the scriptures. One is the Son of God, who is himself God. John 1.18 No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And you see that God himself called his Son God. In Galatians, in Hebrews 1, 8-9, I will read from the Good News Translation. About the Son, however, God said, 
Your kingdom, O God, will last forever and ever. Your rule, you rule over people with justice. You love what is right and hate what is wrong. That is why God, your God, has chosen you and has given you the joy of an honor far greater than he gave to your companions. And the second characteristic is the Son of God who is a life giver. John 5, 21-23 For just as the Father raises the dead and gives, life, and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So we have a Son of God here who is a life giver. And we have the Son of God who is the Creator. Colossians 1 15 to 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So we see the Son of God who is divine. That is Jesus Christ whom we have come to worship and in whom we believe. And the third designation used for him in that passage is the word Messiah. And the Hebrew word Messiah is the same Greek word um, Christ, which means the anointed king. And it's God the Father that anointed Jesus Christ as king of his kingdom, the king of the kingdom of God. And let's look at some three attributes also of the Messiah. Of course, there are much more. Let's just focus on three of them. Jesus has been made the Messiah by God the Father. He didn't make himself the Messiah. God the Father made him the Messiah. Acts 2, 36. Therefore, Lord, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord and Savior. So, Rabbi Messiah is also the Lord and the Savior. When the angel were announcing the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, 10 to 11, but the angel said to them, speaking to the shepherds now, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, is Messiah, the Lord. So this Christ is a Savior and is the Lord. And is the Lord over everyone and over everything, both in heaven, on earth, and underneath the heart. As Philippians 2, 9-11 told us, that therefore God exalted him, talking about Jesus now, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the heart. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the third attribute of this Messiah that is the returning king who will defeat evil and reign over all forever and ever. Revelation 11:15. The seventh angel sounded this prophet, his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and it will reign forever and ever. At the last trumpet, when he returns, all the kingdoms of this world become his kingdom and will reign forever and ever. And there will be peace that will never end. So you look at this attribute very well. I love the a creed that I love so much that captures all these attributes in, in a creed. That is the Nicene Creed of A.D. Three to five. It captures all this essence and much more in the section of the Son of God. And the word creed means in Latin, credo, I believe, what we believe. And this is what we believe as a church throughout all generations. So I'll read the Nicene Creed now. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And when it got to the section of Jesus Christ, it says, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. This is Jesus that we believe in. And that's why I love the song that was first sang this morning, I believe. It's capturing this creed it gave for us in songs. So, what should be our disciples, what should be our response to Jesus Christ? Have you seen his majesty? Have you seen how great he is? The Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man. Because it's this Jesus 
that delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to his kingdom. We have been brought under his lordship. Like Colossians 1.13 told us, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of the Son he loves. So as loyal and faithful subjects of Jesus Christ, we are expected to believe in him, to obey him, and to fear him. And what does it mean to do these three things? What does it mean to believe in him? Is to put our trust in him. If he's a king, if he's the son of God, if he's our Lord, then we have to put our trust in him. Because if we put our trust in him, that's where we have eternal life. John 3, 36. So whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So we must keep trusting the Lord and the sovereignty of our lives every day, knowing that he loves us and we also love him. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All of us should be able to say this, that the life we now live in this body, we live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. So the second thing we need to obey him. We need to obey him. Because he is Lord. And if he is Lord, the only thing we can do to someone we call Lord is to obey him. I remember when Paul first met the Lord on that road to Damascus. When the light shone on him, the first question he asked is, Lord, what will you have me do? Because if he's Lord, then he needs to tell you what you will do. And the Greek word translated as Lord in the New Testament is curious. And if you look at the meaning of the word, it means us to know how to relate with someone that we call Lord. So the word means someone that is supreme in authority, a controller. He to whom a person or team belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. Master, Lord. So when we say Jesus is our Lord, that means we say Jesus is supreme. He has supreme authority over our lives. He has the power of deciding over every decision, over every action that we take, and over every areas of our lives. That means we say that the word of God, the scriptures, will decide for us on every action that we take. Will be the ruling factor of our lives because we say Jesus Christ is Lord. So Romans 14, 7 to 8, talking about how to relate 
with the Lord. Since for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So he's a controller of our lives. He has supreme power. To whom we belong, whether we live or we die. So we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Because we are subjects, and we know that he loves us, and we also love him. 2 Corinthians 5, 40-15 For Christ's love compels us. There's a compelling love over here. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. None of us should live for ourselves. We should live for him. We should always think and ask, what would the Lord have me do in this situation? What would the Lord have me do when I want to take the decision? Because we, don't, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him. And we can't call him Lord and refuse to obey him. That would be a false confession. And that would just ask that question to his followers in Luke 6.46. That why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We can't say he's Lord and don't do what he tells us to do. Because obeying the Lord is proof of our true relationship with him and love of him. Those who don't obey the Lord don't really know him. 1 John 2, 3-4 We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But some people claim that they know him. They can even be regular in church services. They can even be serving at highest level. But if they don't obey him, the Bible calls them liars. And the truth is not in them. Because a man can profess to know him, but the way he lives can contradict Everything that Jesus represents. Like Titus made us to know in Titus 1.16. Paul wrote in Titus 1.16. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's not about what we claim, it's about what we do. And just made us to know that if you don't obey him, that means you don't love him. John fourteen twenty to 24 Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and will come to them 
and make a home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So if Jesus, we call him Christ, our King, our Lord, we owe him obedience. And that's, you know, the word disciple. Disciple means students, learners, who that learn to become like him. And in Luke 6, verse 40, when Jesus said, a disciple is not um, above his teacher, but if a disciple is fully trained, he shall be like his teacher. We learn from him to become like him. And if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, that presented Jesus as a king of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He presented Jesus as a king that came to give us the way to live our lives. And he captured the teaching of Jesus in the book of Matthew into five different blocks. Just like Moses have five books of Moses. So he captured, he, the first block is um, Matthew chapter 5 to 7 that speaks about the lifestyle of the kingdom of God what we call the Sermon of the Mount. And Matthew chapter 10 speaks about the mission of the kingdom of God, how to expand the kingdom, how to serve the kingdom of God, how he sent people out to go and preach the gospel. Matthew 13 talks about the growth of the kingdom of God and gives several parables for that. In Matthew 18, it speaks about the community of the kingdom of God how we are to relate with ourselves, to forgive ourselves, church discipline, excommunication, forgiveness, and everything was captured in, in Matthew 18 for us. And the fifth block, the last one, is on Matthew 24 to 25, which speaks about the future of the kingdom of God, aside from the end time, all the way through when he returns, and to judge his disciples and to give them their rewards. And when Matthew finished all these, he put the last instruction of Jesus in his book. That when Jesus was living, that the last instruction is, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19-20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That was the last instruction captured in the book of Matthew, that Jesus has given all these teachings, and the last instruction is, go and make disciples, go and make students, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And we, as disciples of Jesus, we are here to always be learning from Jesus, our Lord, our King, to observe everything that has commanded us. And the third point of what we need to respond, how we need to respond to him, is to fear him. Because as the love of God drives us towards obeying God, so the love of the same way the fear of God pulls us back 
from disobeying him. So the love of God drives us to obedience. The fear of God pulls us back from disobedience, pulls us back from sin. For us to have a healthy relationship with God, we must have that balance of the love of God and the fear of God. And we must be ruled by both of them. And that's what God did to Israel, to put his fear in them, so that they would not sin against him. In Exodus 20.20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God would be with you to keep you from sinning. When a man fears God, he keeps the person from sinning. A case is mine is the case of Joseph in Genesis 39.9 when he was facing Potiphar's wife. Nobody was there to watch him. The only thing that pulled him back from sinning that day was the fear of God. Because he said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not against my master, but against God. Because the fear of God that will keep us from the path of sin and disobedience, even when no one is watching. And we know that God, Jesus, when he returns, is going to judge the disciples. We can see that in Matthew 24 to 25, we saw the after the teaching about the end time, he gave us four different parables, I believe. The parable of the servant, whom the Lord made um, ruler over his own household, and blessed, that, blessed is the servant that he finds so doing when he returns. He gave us the parable of the ten virgins, or how to be prepared. The parable of the talents, I was going to judge us based on the gifts that he has given unto us. And the parable of the goat and the sheep. And these are the instructions to the disciples that when he comes back, he's going to judge us and he's going to reward us. And when we understand that, we live with fear. Not fear of not approaching God, but fear of not wanting to do anything that will hurt God, that will hurt his feelings. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10-11 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. So, since we know that we are going to be judged by God, Peter, in First Peter 1, 17, encourages us to live a life on hearts in fear. First Peter 1, 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Because many times we always talk about how people hurt us, how we are hurt by a situation, why we cannot forgive, why we cannot let go, 
why we need to retaliate because how we feel about it. But do always consider how God feels about what we do. How God feels about what we say. How God feels about our actions and, in, and, and our inactions. And it's when we fear God that can walk in the path of holiness and not walk in the path of sin. Like 2 Corinthians 7 1 made us to know that because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us walk towards complete holiness because we fear God. And we need to keep these things at the center of our hearts. So the Lord is asking the same questions that he has the disciples. He's put the same questions to each of us today. That, who do you say that I am? I'm going to respond from my heart to him. With our mouth and with our actions. Because if we truly say that Jesus is, is the Lord, is Christ, is the Son of God, then we say that he's supreme, is divine, and he has the, the power of deciding over our lives. Then we must put our trust in him, we must obey him, and we must fear him. And I pray that the Lord will give us grace to truly live under his lordship. Let us pray. Lord, we bless you. We appreciate you for what you have done for us.